Fatherhood is one of the most important jobs in the world. Many of the social ills in America are directly attributed to fatherlessness. Here's a few stats. According to fatherhood.org and the U.S. Census Bureau, one in four children live in a home without a dad. That's 19.5 million kids. Children without a father living at home are 47% more likely to live in poverty and 279% more likely to carry a gun and deal drugs than their peers living with their fathers. They're two times more likely to struggle with obesity, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, two times more likely to drop out of school if their father is not at home. And 92% of parents in prison are fathers. There's a direct correlation to these issues and fatherhood. Somebody should do something about this. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is about fatherhood and redemption. Charmaine Harris has responded to the fatherhood crisis with his life, and he is my guest today. Charmaine is a dad, a husband, and community leader. He has helped establish the Dedicated Dads Program of Kenosha, right here in Southeastern Wisconsin. He is a national fatherhood practitioner, certified father engagement trainer, and he wrote a book to help those who engage dads in family services. There is so much to his story. I can't wait for you to experience it. So let's jump in to Charmaine talking about how and why he cares so much about this topic. Man, fatherhood is just so huge to me, man. Uh, it, it literally changed my life. Before I became a father, you know, I ran, a, a, I lived a different life. I was in the streets, I was involved in gangs, and, you know, ended up landing myself in prison for some time. Uh, fortunate for me, I didn't have kids while going through that. Well, I had my stepdaughter, but I didn't have kids biologically. So uh, when I came home in 2013, uh, I had my first son, my first son, AJ, and this is when the, the light came on in a sense. And I just realized like how important I am to him and, you know, and my family and realized that this is literally a human being that's going to be looking for me, looking to, to provide for his needs, to, you know, take care of him. And so I was able to like shut all of that off. So what fatherhood means to me, man, is it's uh, always define it as um, a responsibility, right? And then I break that word down. I say it's the ability to respond, right? Because um, a lot of times where I come from, um, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about this a little more, but where I come from, some fathers are not able to respond, whether that be because they don't know how to be a father or they were swept up into the incarceration due to mass incarceration and things like that. And so fatherhood to me is like being there, being a dad every day, like no matter if you got it perfectly or not. And, and you know, I always say being there is half the battle. And fortunately for me, you know, I've, I've become educated and, you know, through my journey and all of that. But fatherhood to me, man, if I have to sum it up in one word, is a huge uh, responsibility. And when you've got that weight on your shoulder and that, it's not like a burden, like it's heavy or anything. So I always say, I don't, I don't have to be a father. I get to be a father. And that's a huge privilege in that. So that's a good working definition of fatherhood. What would you say about redemption, Charmaine? 
So um, redemption, you know, like I always, I always say, like sometimes like put redemption like on things that are like outside of us. But redemption for me is more internal. Uh, redemption for me is realizing that um, I was ignorant before and realizing that there were certain things in my past that kind of helped shape who I am today, but I can't change those things. And so as I become more knowledgeable and more educated, the redemption process starts within. And so like, just look at the word redeem, like think arcade or whatever you, you go and play games and then you go and redeem your points. For me, just using that example, I went and put the work in on myself, becoming more socially aware, becoming more uh, emotionally intelligent. And now I'm coming to redeem all the rewards that come from putting that work in and, you know, taking the time to understand yourself so that you can become greater and a better influence to the people around you. For, for those that are listening in, I know it's been alluded to a few times about your past and, and prison um, and there's purpose behind me asking about fatherhood and redemption. Maybe this is a good spot for, for you to kind of lay out uh, some, some of the history that brought you to where you are today and why that work was so necess- uh, necessary to bring you where you are. Sure, man. Uh, you know, I have no problem um, talking about this. So in 2009, I graduated high school in 2007. I actually went to college right away, but then um, I came back, you know, due to financial reasons, wasn't able to cover tuition. None of my family um, had been to college before, so they really didn't know how to, like, help me with that whole process. So I came back 2009, kind of got flustered and frustrated, you know, wasn't really like thinking about work like that. So I chose other routes and got into uh, selling drugs and got connected with some of the wrong people. So I earned a um, criminal charge in 2009, was sentenced to a year in the county jail with the condition that if I was to mess up, I would go back to prison for up to 15 years. So while I took that seriously, I didn't really take the steps to like act it out seriously. So I messed up in 2011, landed myself with a five-year sentence prison. Fortunate for me, I was given the opportunity to go through this uh, boot camp program. It's called Challenge Incarceration, where it's a uh, you know physical, mental rehabilitation process where every single day we're doing physical training and you know running. And so um, that process was very, very eye-opening to me. It really helped me like lean in on who I was. We couldn't watch TV. We couldn't like be doing leisure stuff. Uh, all we can do is read books. And, you know, during that process, I, I really got deep into my Bible. You know, then I began, began to know who I was and, you know, like study myself. And so when I came back in 2013, you know, I had all of these goals and ambitions. And, you know, we set up plans in the boot camp program. We, we looked at our triggers. We looked at what can possibly like trigger us and make us go the other route. And so, you know, I'm laying this foundation just to show that like a lot of those things that a lot of the things and qualities that I have now, like discipline and uh, drive and focus and vision, like I learned it inside, mainly in that, in that boot camp program. So now when I come back in 2013, Although it was a lot of struggles, it was a lot of difficulties, made the wrong choices a few times, um, I was able to overcome that to the point where um, I was able to get connected with this program called WIC. And I I can jump into that story if you want to as well. Yeah, wherever you want to take us. For sure. So um, 
I got out in 2013, February. My girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, was pregnant in April. So you, you, you can imagine what happened there. <laughs> so uh, she was pregnant in April. And so for a year, I was working and getting told no. I was trying to find jobs, losing jobs, going through temporary services. After 90 days, they was telling me that job assignment was no longer needed. So like literally going through these ups and downs and trials of being a uh, a felon, you know, you know, that background really, I feel like it really hindered me in the uh, employment process. But one day, man, I had an opportunity to go to the um, WIC office with my son. He was about 10 months and my wife couldn't make it. So I go into the, the WIC office. And for those that don't know what that is, that's the women, infants and children place where you go and get like supplemental services like milk and nutrition education. So I went in there, you know, I wasn't really like thinking about anything else but the appointment. But when I got there, they mentioned this fatherhood initiative they were trying to like spark up. And so they told me about it and said they was trying to get a group of fathers to come out, talk and like see if there's a need. So I'm like, sure, you know, I'll definitely come out. I'm a new dad. I'm I'm reading your latest T.D. Jakes books and watching Dr. Phil and over like trying to be the best dad that I can Yeah, be. getting everything filled up. Yeah, yeah, I'm filling up. Uh, he Motions is a book by T.D. Jakes that really helped me during that time. But uh, I come out to the event, just to make a long story short, and, uh, you know, we're sitting in the event, and about 20 minutes in, we realized that I'm the only guy that showed up. And this is um, despite the fact that they have been promoting this thing for months, trying to get guys in, giving out gift cards. They had a whole spread of food for both breakfast and lunch. And so um, during that time, man, you know, I just really took an opportunity when the uh, supervisor came in and, you know, she was a little disappointed. But I said, hey, you know, I'm from Kenosha. Like, I know a lot of fathers um, here in Kenosha. Um, I'm sure that I can I can help out, you know, if you guys wanted to do it again. Sure, I can go out and recruit. And to my surprise, despite my felony background, despite, you know, what I was going through, she allowed me to volunteer. So here I am working two other jobs and volunteering for this organization. But uh, who would know that it would become an amazing opportunity for me down the line? So fast forward to the day of my event. I believe it was November 2015. Well, before that, I'm, I'm, I'm a volunteer now. I'm recruiting. I'm coming to the WIC office. I'm putting the word out there on social media. Mind you, I had never done this kind of work before in my life. So I'm trying to talk to guys in the lobby and just super nervous, like people telling me no. Uh, people just looking at me crazy, like don't even come up to me. But I was just like driven because I was a father now. And I just re- I just knew how much of an effect it had on me. So I knew that if I can get that energy to the next person, it will be impactful. So. The day of my event, man, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, um, I had over 25 fathers in attendance. Uh, Many of these guys were guys like that I knew from the past, probably ran the streets negatively. But the change was we were all like a little older now. I was 26, 27. Many of us had kids. So uh, the supervisor seen that. And uh, I imagine a light bulb went off in her head and said, this guy is really uh, influential. Uh, he really has an impact. He really has a reach. So she started talking about, you know, a potential job opportunity. And she said, they're going to work to go find funding to like get me a position. So 
I'm super excited. I'm going home telling the wife, like, man, I think I just struck gold. You know, I'm about to uh, not be doing physical work, you know, going to factories and things like that or restaurants. And I'm about to be doing, you know, like more intellectual work. So uh, for a period of six months, I will either call, stop in or email her about this position. And for six months, she just kept saying, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Uh, no, not right now. No, right now. To the point where I finally just kind of gave up. Like, you know what? I thought it was going to happen, but it didn't. But then I got that email where she said, we didn't get a lot of money, but we able to bring you on 10 hours a week part time. And now it's just like a huge accomplishment for me. And after that, you know, as I started working and doing the groups, um, I was trained in a lot of different fatherhood curriculums and fatherhood knowledge, all the way to the point where I was brought on 40 hours a week full time. And then um, as I started to do the work full time over the first year, we had over 100 fathers go through what was called the Dedicated Dads program. And uh, again, I was new to it. Um, I was green. I was super naive, but that was an advantage for me at the time because it really uh, opened up the uh, eyes around fatherhood here in Kenosha. Uh, we were one of the first WIC projects to kind of attempt this kind of initiative, and we were the only, and still is, the only fatherhood initiative um, in the city. So that really just allowed me to like really take advantage of that. And so since then, I've been going around speaking about this all across the country, uh, speaking about what we did. I, I've spoken at national conferences. My first time speaking on a big stage was like over 600 people. And uh, I remember I, I came and I'm just a regular guy. So I got like a polo shirt on and like a, a Nautica hat. And uh, my supervisor like, that's that's what you're wearing? I'm like, oh, you know, I was supposed to dress up. She's like, yeah, you, you kind of important. So uh, I started to change my attire and dress different and, you know, be uh, walk and think like more like success. So uh, through that time, man, you know, it's just been amazing um, to the point where, you know, I'm a feature speaker at many places and a highly sought after speaker for both fatherhood and reentry. We've got new blogs, 100 podcasts, and now new dad jokes, which seems fitting based on the episode. So connect with us on LinkedIn and get some refreshing leadership content in your feed. So my wife asked if I'd seen the dog bowl. I told her I never knew he did. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming and still got, got me. Uh, I saw a microbiologist today. He was much bigger than I expected. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got four kids. Yes. Get on LinkedIn and follow the impact of leadership for more goodness. Now, back to Charmaine. So there's so much here and there's actually a couple things. Uh, this is a good good point to, to say. I think people now, when they meet you, if they just saw your website, uh, which I'll have in the show notes for those of you listening in that want to check that out, you definitely should. It's CharmaineHarris.com. You don't need to memorize that. Go to the show notes and just click the link. It's a beautiful website. Uh, he's got a book that we're going to talk about in a little bit. He is an entrepreneur, but like you just said, Charmaine, you, you made this transition from getting paid for what you could do, basically physical labor, to getting paid to, for what you knew and, and what you experienced. You know, And in the middle of that, there was all kinds of challenges and on your website, I know you speak to folks 
about overcoming challenges and staying consistent. So I know you've mentioned several here, but dig into that a little bit if you wouldn't mind for for a few minutes here. Talk to us about challenges. I know you talked about the reentry process, but how do you, I mean, I want to hear more of your story, but also how are you working with guys to overcome uh, those challenges that you experience as well? I always say without challenge, there is no change. So, and a lot of times dealing with what I had to go through, when a challenge comes, it's easy to like just give up and quit. For me, there was a bigger purpose. There was a bigger, bigger vision. And I I know I, I talk about my son a lot, how he changed my life, but but even before that, like I just knew there was um, greatness inside of me. The challenges of uh, incarceration and all the things that you go through uh, mentally and like uh, psychologically, being in a, in a in a room where uh, there's 60 men and you know you can't escape it. And you know I've I've seen guys get their heads put through window, and I've seen a guy try to kill himself. One time I was. Uh, in solitary confinement before where uh, this guy sung the same song for like a month straight. And, you know, we can't get to him because we were all locked in our cages or our uh, cells for 23 hours. So um, a lot of those things like really like uh, impacted me and was very challenging to to the point where, you know, you can become like antisocial. You don't really want to be around big groups. You don't really want to deal with like professional settings. Um, on top of that, you got the felony on your record, which is a, a, a huge hindrance, uh, more so the the stigma of being a felon. And and then uh, sometimes if you're not aware, like you can buy into the fact that, you know, a felon and you can sit there and tell yourself, like, I'm a felon. I ain't going to never be able to get a job like that. Uh, I'm a felon. I'm not even going to apply. Um, so I dealt with that with employment in addition to like housing. Uh, many times when you go through like uh, property management companies, you can't get past the screening process. When you check the box that you're a felon, they don't even want to give you a chance. So that was a, a huge thing, especially when me, when me and my wife got married and uh, we had to go and find our own apartment. And I was the main breadwinner, but we just constantly kept getting turned down. And one time it came down to about we had like a three week window where we didn't find a house. We was going to have to go stay with somebody or end up being homeless. But luckily, uh, I, I submitted an application to this guy in the newspaper. And when I texted him my name, he said, um, didn't you used to play for uh, Tremper? You played football and basketball for Tremper? And I just looked at my wife like, this is it. So uh, <laughs> for me, like I was like embracing challenges and, you know, I was prepared, you know, because of that program I went through. But it's like bring on the challenges. And I came up with this philosophy and I actually just posted this on my Facebook today. But the word no, N-O, I took that word and created an acronym and said that it stands for next opportunity. So now I'm, I'm going I'm going for no. And there's a book called Go for No, but and it, it kind of deals with sales. But I'm looking for the no's because the, however many no's I get is going to eventually lead to a yes. How do you how do you view excuses after going through what you went through? That's a great question. And, you know, I'm probably worked with over a thousand fathers. Now, I'm not one that's going to allow you to sit in an excuse, although they may be legitimate. Right. You, you're talking about s- systemic issues and, 
you know, mass incarceration and even thinking about my dad and his bout with incarceration and, and the fathers that we're working with. When you look at a lot of the laws and policies and things that were created, the three strikes law, uh, the, the, the way that they penalize people for selling drugs. But, you know, we we, we don't create the drugs. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's there's pieces there where it's like I get it. Right. Like I get, I understand, I, I, I sympathize and I empathize um, with you. But if you go through what you go through and you don't grow through what you grow through, you did it for nothing. So when it comes to those excuses, like I'll hear it like once, maybe twice. But um, the third time around with a lot of guys I'm working with, it's like, what you going to do now? And I'm not I'm not I'm not denying your your experience. I'm not denying your excuse because they are legitimate, as I just explained some of the things that I went through. Like it was very tough. And I realized that, like, I had something in me that was like a a deeper purpose. But when you really trying to be a leader, when you really striving for excellence, there is nothing that can really get in your way unless you allow it. And that's where I go back to a lot of that internal uh, self-talk. And you telling yourself, I'm a felon. I can't do this. I'm a, I, I can't do that. For example, I just went out of the country for the first time. I went to Mexico. Now, you can't go out of the country while you're on probation or parole. But in my mindset, for some time, I thought that just because you're a felon, you can't go out of the country. But that's not the case. Even before that, I voted for the first time in 2016, I believe. Before I had the knowledge, I thought that if you're a felon, you just can't vote ever again, right? My bigger point in that is like when, you, when you're really striving for excellence and you really want to get to a certain destination, uh, you're going to do everything in your power. And that includes educating yourself and being aware and being knowledgeable of certain things. That's a huge part of um, getting to where you want to go. You first have to have the know-how and then you can you can start making an actual actionable plan to get to where you're trying to get to. Before we move on to your book, which I, I want to dive into next, uh, I want to come back to something you said before uh, you alluded to it, but how has your, how has your faith impacted your journey? I'm going to tell a quick story. I'm going to keep, try to keep it short. When I was first arrested in 2009, um, I sat for two months during those two months, you know, I, I went to God, like I'm, I'm, I'm praying to all the guys. Like I just, I just wanted to get out of that predicament. Uh, Buddha, Allah, Jesus. Like I need y'all help, <laughs> right? But my dad's a pastor, and my dad used to come visit me. And now me and my dad got different last names. He used to come in um, as clergy, and so clergy can come in like whenever they want and speak to a, a person. Well, it was my dad. I can speak about it now. That was really like a a big thing for me. He would come in praying for me and things like that. And then finally, like he bonded me out after two months. But I messed up while I was out on bond and I went back in. And this is the funny story. While I was doing those two months before I bonded out, I had this Bible and I would read it constantly, especially the book of Proverbs, just getting all this wisdom. But I wrote my name inside of it with my last name and I wrote my last name on the binding of it the long way. And so um, when I got out, uh, when I bonded out, you get to, you got to give all your stuff away and, you know, your, your old stuff and change over from your uniform to your new clothes. And I left that Bible in the binder 
but you can take these Bibles home with you. And that was my mistake. I didn't take the Bible home with me. So when I was reincarcerated or rebooked again uh, a month and a half later, um, I was so upset and I was so mad at myself. I went in the, in my cell, the booking cell, and when I got it on my bunk, uh, under the pillow was a Bible. And when I lifted the pillow up, it was the exact same Bible that I left down in that um, bin in the in the basement under my pillow under the top bunk. And I just I just looked up at God like, okay, I see what you're trying to do here. You 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 trying to really uh, get a, get a message to me in a sense. And I really uh, took heed to that. And so like when it comes to leadership. Even while I was inside, I'm a guy, I got, I got gold teeth in my mouth. I got gold glasses on. I'm a fairly big guy. I was probably 300 pounds around that time. Um, but I'm, I'm attending Bible studies. I'm, uh, I'm praying for guys, uh, even in a boot camp program. I'm the one saying, Hey, man, let's, let's get a Bible study going. Let's, uh, let's all of us congregate and like really talk about this type of stuff. Uh, the, the Latinos was having their own, uh, Bible study session and, the blacks have their own, you know, Bible study session. So uh, I try to bridge that gap. And, you know, several times, even when I'm inside and praying and things like that, as guys coming up to me like, um, man, that prayer just really touched me, you know. But that's not to say like a lot of guys, too, were like, don't go to church now. You wasn't going to church in the streets uh, and all of that stuff. So I had to deal with the, with the naysayers and things like that. But to your question, man. That journey and that, that faith and just learning about Jesus Christ and the journey that he went through and learning about people like Joseph in the Bible and Job is like they, they had similar um, locked up type of uh, ordeals where they went through a journey where they were supremely isolated and it felt like people betrayed them and, uh, you know, they but they were focused on the prize the whole time because they had God in their ear talking to them and saying, it's going to be okay. So. Um, now, you know, uh, the, the, I've been redeemed. I've redeemed the points of putting in that work spiritually and God has blessed me, um, in ways that I could have never imagined. Thank you for sharing that. And, and it's a good segue to the, to your book. I want to hear, you know, a little bit about the, the book. I'd love to have you tell the uh, listeners about it. The book is titled working with dads, seven practical steps to engaging fathers and family services. So wherever you want to take us on this, you know, uh, what, what caused you to write it, the content or what it is that's driving you uh, with this effort, wherever you want to go. You know, I was at WIC office for five years. Um, I left in 2020 and started my, my own business, essentially doing the same thing, but just through my own organization, in addition to all the speaking and stuff that I do. But what I what I realized during that time, um, like I was it was easy for me to uh, engage these fathers. Right. But I realized that there were some some system issues that was happening and uh, the, the field or the industry in which I was working in is predominantly women, which is OK. You know, they say 81 uh, percent of social workers are uh, women, um, which is great. Right. But sometimes when you're bringing on fatherhood initiatives, uh, you don't know the, the ins and outs of what it what it what, what fathers are going through. You, you're a younger social worker, you just completed college or 25 or whatever, you don't have kids yet. Or you've been in the industry for some time for 30 years plus, and you know, uh, 
bureaucracy made you just do things and um, how how they're always done. You hear that a lot in like organizations like, well, this is how we always, always done it. So I realized that there was an opportunity there where it's like fatherhood is like a buzzword now, like dads are being more involved. You're seeing it more on social media. You're seeing a lot of fatherhood initiatives. So I'm like, I can engage the fathers, but I need to teach other people how to do what I've, what I've done. So what I did in my book is just break down the, the seven practical steps to engage in fathers. And my, my market, in a sense, is more so like a child support offices, probation and parole, WIC, you know, early Head Start, educational systems, and teaching them how to uh, engage these fathers. Because before now, there's a huge stigma tied to a lot of agencies where guys like me or, you know, guys I work with, they're like, I'm not, I'm not going in there. I'm not welcome there. You know what I mean? Like even the name WIC that I work for stands for uh, women, infants, and children. Right. What, what, what didn't you hear, Steve? Yeah. Fathers. <laughs> there you go. So it's not, I'm like, it's not like these, the, the, the ladies made the baby themselves. That, that's impossible. So uh, I created a, a framework and I'm like, I really got to drive this message to um, these agencies. And when I did it, man, the book was well received. I'm actually going up to Madison on Tuesday to speak to the Bureau of uh, Child Support and um, about 50 child support workers and just showing them different strategies they can take to be more inclusive uh, to fathers and realizing that in order to affect the family, we got to affect the entire family. There's a lot of programs and services for mothers, which is great. A lot of this may be stemmed to like, you know, war times and guys going off to war and we had to take care of our, our women and children. I get that. But things have changed. Fathers are more involved. We have mass incarceration that happened, but a lot of guys are getting released. Uh, they need support. They need this education. And many of our fathers wasn't there. You know, that's what I do in my program. Like, despite all of that, like, what can we do to be the best dad that we can be? Factoring in the fact that we have a history of fatherlessness and a lot of agencies and even um, I'll go as far as like the family courts need to understand the complexities of the people that we're dealing with. And it's, it's really rough. And I just really wanted to stand up for fathers where the, the leading, you know, suicide action takers. When it comes to divorce, we already you know, know how that looks. And a lot of guys can really get depressed in that. So I really wanted to be that person that kind of speaks up for them. And when I'm speaking up for them, I'm often talking to the policy uh, makers and people running big organizations and agencies. That's great. Did you say uh, it was Madison that you're going to heading up to? Yep, I'm heading up to Madison uh, on Tuesday to speak great. to uh, the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families. Man, and so uh, what I'm hearing is this book is to help not only uh, um, maybe change policies in the long run, but also to replicate yourself with kind of a field guide, a manual of what you've experienced, you've been through, and now on the other side, teaching people, teaching the teachers or instructing the instructors, which is awesome. You you may have already answered this, uh, but I'd like to ask directly, you know, who or what has had the most significant impact on your journey? Because you've, you've experienced a lot, man. So who, who or what has had that most significant impact on you? Oh, man. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's several people um, or, or, or things. You know, one of the things I left out was the fact that when I was going through that journey and I was having that success with the fatherhood program, my name started getting a lot of recognition around the uh, city. 
to the point where my name fell into the laps of the district attorney, uh, Mike Bravely. Uh, we were in some kind of meeting or something, and I kind of met him. Uh, mind you, like I'm, I'm like ex ex criminal. You know, I don't, I don't care about saying that, but uh, you know, it can be a little nerve wracking now when you're in these professional settings. The DA, who's like in charge of like gathering up as many people as he can, but uh, now we're about to have a conversation. So, you know, we met, I went and had a conversation with him, kind of shared my story, told him about my challenges and things like that. And he said he really wanted to help me. And I'm like, you know, I'm still kind of skeptical. But uh, then we got to a point where, you know, he drafted a motion on my behalf. So normally like this motion, you have to like pay lawyers and stuff to do. But he did it on my behalf uh, to get my sentence modified. What that means is I was scheduled to get off parole in the year of 2020, January 2020. Well, because of what he did, I was able to get off parole in 2016, four years early than I was supposed to. And uh, anytime like I needed a letter of recommendation or anything, he wrote it for me. I'm going for a pardon right now. He he vouched for me and wrote a letter for me. And and just to circle back, the the judge that had to kind of sign off on this sentence modification was Judge Wagner, the same judge that sentenced me to the five years in prison the first time around. And so I had an opportunity to talk to her and just share what I was doing. And I'm just amazed. Like, I'm really having, like, dialogue and email and phone calls with, like, DAs and judges. So that part of my story really, like, catapulted to me, like, even in the recruitment process of the fathers. Um, they, they, they may not want to come to a program for fatherhood, Many of them wanted to see uh, how they could also be a candidate to get taken off parole four years early. But uh, they had a huge that had a huge impact on my journey. Uh, Even when I share that story at my speeches, like everybody's just in awe. But, you know, on top of them, you know, I have a uh, my son is the one that kind of sparked everything. My wife, you know, my dad. I got a good friend named uh, Raymond Roberts. Uh, You should you should look him up and actually interview him very. Uh, eclectic individual, him, and then uh, my professors during my whole college journey, especially uh, my master's program professor, uh, Dr. Jennifer Madden. Uh, she really helped me like see the academia side of things, and you know, helped me get my mindset around that. And so, I'm actually, excited to say that you know, I'm actually about to be a, a adjunct professor at the University of Parkside here in Kenosha. And, and guess what uh, topic I'm teaching, Steve? Um, fatherhood. Nope. I don't know. I'm not teaching fatherhood, although I got my degrees in business. What I'm actually teaching is criminal justice. So it's like all coming full circle. You see what I'm saying? The people that locked you up are giving you pardons and hugs and, and writing you letters of recommendation. Yep. You went to school, but weren't able to finish because of prison. You go back to school you finish, you get a master's, you get some mentors at, at, in college and getting your master's degree. And now you are going to be an adjunct professor on criminal justice after going on criminal, criminal justice. justice. Man, after that all is of full that circle, that's probably the most full circle story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So giving those students a, a different perspective, because a lot of times the professors are like former lawyers or, um, you know, probation and parole agents. Um, I believe if, if, if I'm, correct in this, I'm probably going to be the first 
person to bring it to them from uh, my perspective as a person that's formerly incarcerated himself. And, you know, just going back into my faith, you know, it's God when it's a lot of first type of scenarios, like you're the first person to do this. They're the first person to do that. And, and the opportunity um, is generally free. So like my, my bachelor's degree was a, a full ride scholarship. I left that out. And my master's was uh was a half a halfway uh fellowship, which it was half of it was paid for. So you you know it's God when it's like generally free, or he's gonna have you be like the first person or the example to do it. So others will look at it like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened, but it, it did happen and it's possible. This has been a joy, Charmaine. You you are doing the th- you are doing the work. You are in it doing the work and you are setting the example. You you are. Um, Appreciate Thank it. you for being here. Yeah. So so if you wouldn't mind, if you could close out the episode with whatever you want to leave our listeners with. Before you can become a leader, like you really have to do a self-assessment of yourself. Right. And this is what uh, emotional intelligence is. So I believe it's four different areas. Self-awareness and then uh, relationship awareness. And then um, social awareness and then uh, self-management. So after you become self-aware, you can self-manage. After you become socially aware, you can manage those relationships around you. And my entire journey is all about that, man. When, when you go through a situation where you're in prison and you have to be alert in everything that you do because you have to be able to figure somebody out within 30 seconds because if you don't, it can be deadly. It can be... it can turn bad for you. All of these techniques and things like that, um, that I learned through this emotional intelligence framework, I'm like, man, I was doing that already. (laughs) Right. Even with business, like you learning all these different techniques, like persuasion techniques, we, we turn, we call that the gift of gab in in the streets, right? You you know how to talk a lot. You know how to convince somebody to, to buy from you can sell salt to a slug. So now, you know, moving on to sales and like selling myself as a personal brand, it's like, um, dang, I knew all of this stuff already, right? But I just didn't have the education and knowledge to, to be able to apply it. But just going back into that emotional intelligence piece and really studying yourself and the things around you so that you can move and be the best leader that you can be um, in whatever environment that you're in. I, I, I call myself a, a chameleon. It don't matter where I'm at. I can, uh, as opposed to say, uh, I treat the, the, the janitor with the same respect that I do the CEO. So I, I can be in the thick of things and still like talk to some of my guys that may not be living the best, making the best choices. And I can talk to a five uh, or six figure, seven figure CEO of a company and have this type of dialogues. But I was only able to do that by studying myself studying my environment and studying all the relationships that was, uh, that I've ever been in, in my life. So I'll leave y'all with that. Thank you again, Charmaine. Uh, this won't be the last time that we speak. Appreciate you, man. Blessings on you and your family. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Takeaways and action items. First of all, takeaways, our mistakes don't define us. Look at Charmaine's example. Number two, being an intentional father matters. Action items. Check the show notes. Connect with Charmaine and the work that he's doing. 
And secondly, if you're a dad, be encouraged. You have been given something precious. Don't waste it. Now scroll down to see the links in the show notes. I've put several things there, including a link to 50 plus IOL blogs and my guest's LinkedIn page. Cause I want to connect people to people and people to ideas. There are free ideas and connections to get you going right in this episode. Now, if you thought of somebody during this episode in this conversation, please send it to them with a note of encouragement. Or if you need something to post on social media, take something that we've said or this episode or something like that. And and don't forget to tag the Impact of Leadership. We love engaging with you that way. And we have over 100 episodes of this podcast that will aid in your growth as a leader. So follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're using to have access to all of them. And as a reminder, don't forget to check the show notes. I can't wait to be with you all again soon. But until then, from all of us here at the Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.